Welcome to episode 632 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther. And this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. And Josh, we have some feedback. We do have some feedback. Before we get to the feedback, if people were watching the live stream right now, they would see the giant grin on your face as I was starting that because they would have seen me also screw up the intro before the one that you're just now hearing, mm. uh, the corrected one on the audio podcast. So if you're only listening on audio, you could be having even more fun watching us live. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just typically Tuesday nights. See this, PM see this mess happen in real time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube though, you I probably will cut that out too, but you should yeah. watch us on YouTube too, because that's also fun. And if you're watching on YouTube right now, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button. We'd appreciate that. All so, right, we do hey, be, I, I, before you get into that, okay, we're going to we keep on putting <laughs> off this feedback. Let's just keep interrupting each other. Yeah, well, something that you've been doing that I don't know we've talked about on this show is that you've been sharing individual segments about the more interesting stories we've been discussing as individual YouTube posts. So if somebody's specifically interested in sharing something we talked about on a specific pro uh, product or topic, you could be able to find it there in YouTube, just that little snippet. It's pretty cool. It is. And and those snippets, they're helping people. But like that, And that's the whole point. Like if, if we just put up the, the whole podcast, and you're having a problem with Netflix, you're probably not going to find it by searching YouTube for a problem with Netflix. But if we have a segment about a podcast or a problem with Netflix, and I cut that out as an individual section, people find it. And then we're helping more people. So that's why we do it. Yeah. And you can also go watch the whole recording of the episode, too, if you want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I do uh, like link to the whole episode from all of those. So. Yeah, you we we make it easier for you to watch the content that you care about the most over on our YouTube channel. So go and check that out. If you're listening on the audio version, you can head on over to our website for a link straight to the YouTube channel. Okay. Now, I guess we can get into the feedback. Do it. Why don't you take the first one? Sure. This uh sent in to us via email, entertainment20 at the digitalmediazone.com. And the first one is from Joe. He's referencing the story that we talked about last episode about the Weem amp. I'm still going with Weem as the pronunciation of W-I-I-M, capital M for some reason. And he says, uh, hey, hope the entire entertainment 2.0 family is having a great holiday season. Well, I am. Uh, Richard can answer for himself, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, totally. <laughs> he says, I have a few Sono speakers around the house. I also have two Weem boxes that I use to modernize speakers in the kitchen ceiling and another bookshelf set of speakers in the bedroom. I mainly use the AirPlay 2 feature, but I also have Miss A. Miss A is uh, Amazon's Lady a. voice assistant. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we appreciate Joe not saying her name because we don't like to set off right. people's voice assistants with our podcast. So uh, he also has Miss A output her music to the Ween boxes because we're personifying these voice assistants. <laughs> and he says, I'm very happy with the Weem products. 
I would have gone all in on the Wii Amp if it had been available this past summer when I bought the Weem Pro. And we actually also got a comment on the YouTube video about the, the Weem Amp from another Weem user who loves their Weem devices and basically also said the same thing. If the Weem Amp would have been available when I purchased the other things, I would have just gotten the Weem Amp. So this sounds like a device that could actually do pretty well if it can get its name out there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Very good. All right, well, our next feedback item is from John, and John addresses his message specifically to you. He says, Josh, thanks for the follow-up on your Franken-TV. I love that you were able to take two broken TVs and make a working television. Most people would say, why bother? But I find things like that fascinating. Yeah, it was a fun project, uh, mostly because it worked fairly quickly. Um, If it wouldn't have worked fairly quickly, I might have just thrown out two TVs. Well, responsibly recycled. (laughs) Right, right, right. Uh, But yeah, I'm glad that it was easy enough. Getting the back bezel, or not bezel, but the black plastic casing off was a little bit scary because it clips together. Like you take a million screws out, but then you also have to separate the plastic clippy things and stuff. And a couple of them stick together really hard. And I was like, I'm for sure going to break this thing, but I didn't. So yeah, it was a fun project. Glad that you enjoyed it too, John. All right. Well, if you want to send us some feedback for our next episode, Entertainment20 at the digitalmediazone.com is the email address, or all the rest of our contact information we'll give at the end of the show and in the show notes over at the digitalmediazone.com. All right. So let's get into the biggest news of the week, which is really in Richard's line of the, the entertainment ecosystem. It's Apple stuff. Yeah. Big update to Apple TV. Well, actually, to, uh, bunch of Apple's OSs, but tvOS 17.2 came out just today, actually, as we're recording, and it has a whole, well, not a whole new, but a pretty significant change to the TV app that changes that TV watching experience in the TV app. Now, we're going to have a link to Engadget on this, but everybody's reporting on this. There's I think the the biggest thing that people are going to notice is that in the TV app now, assuming that you use the TV app on your Apple TV, the navigation that's been at the top where you could select between the home screen or between movies or TV or your library or sports, if you cared about sports, all of that is now in a left nav bar. And you may be thinking, left nav bar? That's kind of weird. That's that's not really how Apple does a lot of their app primary navigation. Right. It's not how they do any of their app primary navigation on the Apple TV. This is a huge departure from the really original navigation model that came out in 1.0 of Apple TV, where you had a top bar that was your primary way of moving around between the different major sections in any given app. And whether this is going to be something they end up rolling out to the other apps or not, we'll have to see. But for now, 
It is in the TV app. So what what's this all about? Now, if you're in your TV app, you may be familiar with the home screen. The home screen has a whole bunch of stuff like what you're watching lately, what they're recommending, what's hot, what the different channels are, things that they're promoting from different networks and from their own network, probably Apple TV+. And if you're interested in that stuff on the home screen, it's all still there. It's a little bit presented differently now, but it's all still there. The primary navigation is pretty significantly different, though. So if you're on that screen and you go to the left now, now, mind you, you're not seeing anything on the left. It's just the normal home screen. But if you go to the left from the home screen, this new menu is going to pop up over top of what you see in your home screen. It's not going to shift stuff over. It's going to, it's, it's almost like a modal pop-up that comes up on a website. And that is now your menu and you can navigate around in there or navigate off of it and it'll go away again. So it just kind of slides down from the top left, actually, I think is where it's anchored. Now, the good thing is that if you're really used to going all the way to the top to the navigation, you can still do that. And smartly enough, Apple has this kind of, I'll call it grandfathered way of interacting with it, where if you go all the way top, it's also going to bring that nav panel in on the left-hand side. So you'll be able to get to the navigation the same way. It lists the major sections you can get to, including TV and movies like you had before and your library. It calls out specifically MLB and is, do I have that right? No, I don't know. What, what, it calls out some specific sports stuff. And then probably it, MLS. MLS. They have that, yeah. Okay. That deal with soccer. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And there's a logo there. So I probably should have noticed it, but you know, sports ball. So I'm kind of blind to it. But underneath that, then there are channels and there's a section called channels and it lists channels. And this may not be what you're expecting because in addition to the channels that you subscribe to through Apple, for example, I subscribe to. Paramount Plus. And that now includes Showtime. It's also going to show some, not all, of the services that you have connected to your Apple TV experience. So I have Hulu and I have Disney Plus and I have AMC Plus and I have Amazon Prime all showing up there as connected services that are channels now. I don't think of them as channels, but it's calling them out. So what does that tell me? They have a special arrangement with those partners so that they can highlight them. And if you select one of those, it's going to take you to the part of the TV app that is focused on just their content. So they're really letting you drill down into that specific channel or that specific provider's content. It's actually kind of nice. It's a little bit confusing because In the past, you'd see channels, and some of the channels were things that you subscribed to, and some of the things were things that they were trying to get you to subscribe to. So there would be an upcharge to them. But this list on the left is all the stuff that you already have said, yeah, I have this. I want to be able to get to this from Apple TV. Now, similarly, channels itself looks a little bit different. Channels, if you are just on the homepage and you're scrolling through and you're looking at the channels, they've kind of uh, changed the way they display that. Instead of just circles with a logo, it's a logo with 
I don't know, like a, I guess a cover image or a poster image of some big popular thing that they're showing now so that it can entice you to maybe take a look at this channel. Maybe this is something that you want to get if you don't already subscribe to it. But again, that channel section is now also showing these other services that you already subscribe to, but not through Apple if it's one of the companies that they have a deal with. I think this is going to confuse people. I mean, I, I like it. I think it's nice that they create this kind of curated provider-specific experience, but I think it is going to confuse people because of how they've previously defined channels in the Apple TV experience. So we'll, we'll see how folks react to it. Ultimately, I think it's good, but for example, it doesn't show Peacock and I'm subscribed to Peacock and that's still connected in the Apple TV app as a provider of services that I'm interested in. It just doesn't show up as a channel. So yeah, it's kind of weird, but good. Now, the thing that you've probably heard the most about is that the iTunes movies and iTunes TV shows apps on your TV and specifically on Apple TV as well, we're going to go away. Well, that also occurred as part of this 17.2 update. So now you're no longer going to have a movies app or a shows app out on the main Apple TV screen. Just They don't exist anymore. They're all folded into the TV app itself. And so that means what happens to the store? The store is now also bundled into the TV app. So if you're still someone who actually purchases digital content, which confusingly enough, you could already do through the TV app before. Now the whole iTunes movies and TV storefront is actually built into a store section of the TV app. Confused yet? If you're an Apple TV user, I just suggest you go in, poke around a little bit, take a look at it. If you need to, you may you may want to download the latest OS version, and then you'll get this. It wasn't already on my computer, even though it came out today on my computer, on my Apple TV. I had to go and download it. Now, there's some other stuff that came with this update, too. It's not just the TV app. They made some other improvements, like now you can use Dolby Atmos on SharePlay. If you're doing a SharePlay thing with your Apple TV, I'm really not quite sure why that didn't exist before, but apparently it didn't. And now as well, you can select where you want to focus your audio in the Fitness Plus app, whether you want specifically more music or more, or if you want to listen more to the coach, you can tune that more to your liking. And probably most importantly is that at least in the TV apps and hopefully more apps coming soon, you'll be able to use voice search from pretty much anywhere in those apps, not just in their search tab. So if you're on the home screen of any app that supports this now, your voice search for your remote is going to trigger the search within that app, which is a nice new enhancement. So some really nice, good updates to tvOS. I'm a little frustrated that they still don't have any, as far as I'm concerned, viable competitive live TV offering. And I certainly hope that eventually, maybe tvOS 18, we see something like that because live linear TV is still important to some people. It's still a separate, entirely separate experience. And 
Google TV and Amazon have done a really good job of demonstrating that you can integrate that pretty seamlessly into your streaming experience. And Apple's just made no effort to do that whatsoever. And so you're talking about not not even having support for like YouTube TV or Hulu with live TV built into the Apple TV 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 app. Right. Exactly. You have to go out of the TV experience and go find the app for YouTube TV or for Sling or whichever of those streaming services you have, which just seems ridiculous now that all of these other services have demonstrated, no, if you have a TV hub, let's put that in the TV hub. Do you think that maybe they haven't integrated some of these other ones because they're working on making their own? What if they're making Apple TV live? Really? Really? I mean, uh, I don't I don't want I don't think there's a need for another player there unless they figure out how to do it better and frankly, I mean, it's taken Apple a long time to get the TV experience right. <laughs> so I'm not entirely convinced that they're going to do it better. Right, right. Well, and the the user interface changes that you've described here make it sound like they're essentially applying the UI that we've seen slowly come to all of the other major competing streaming services. Disney Plus has a left nav. Netflix has a left nav. Yeah. And they do that because it makes sense. If I've scrolled way down, YouTube has a left nav. Yep. If I've scrolled way down in the list and want to switch categories, I don't want to have to scroll all the way back to the top. Yeah. I I can see that that does make sense. I, I think it's going to be a little bit more confusing for people, at least initially until they get used to it, because it doesn't show up at all. Like there's this yeah. little bullet or or kind of nub at the top left indicating that hey there's a menu and you can move left to go see it and i think they even have that written on there like go left to make the menu you should never have to have instructions on something like that right, <laughs> right. it should be more obvious than that but right eventually people are going to get the hang of it and what's nice about it is that it takes up zero real estate normally because it's just out of the way and yeah. it flies over top of the left side of the normal screen when you call it up. Right. Yeah. That does make sense. Yeah. But maybe a little bit hard to find. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I, I talked a little bit there about Disney Plus. Our next story is also actually about Disney Plus and Hulu because in a move that I think is weird, uh, Disney Plus is adding a Hulu experience to the Disney Plus app. So if you open the Disney Plus app now on your TV, you're used to seeing a big, basically like channel selection, category selection boxes at the top of the interface for like Marvel movies and National Geographic or whatever the nature stuff is. All of those big categories. Now there's an extra one at the end that says, Hulu. And when you go to that option, it opens up a new screen with a bunch of Hulu stuff, but it's missing a bunch of things. So it, while it, it, the styling of it matches the styling of Disney plus. So it, it's not like a, a jarring experience in, in any way, Good, but it's missing a bunch of stuff. And granted it's called beta. It's beta for a reason, but it's missing so much. It's missing 
navigation for categories on the left side. It's missing your watch list. It's missing continue watching. If you're used to using the Hulu app, uh, the standalone Hulu app, and you have ESPN Plus, you're used to seeing the ESPN Plus things that are live right now. None of that is there. All of that stuff is gone. Eventually, a lot of that, I'm sure, will make its way in. I would, and at first I was thinking, well, eventually, because this is beta and it's not supposed to officially launch until spring of 2024, my thought was, well, they'll surely add all of these things and they will surely combine watch list and combine the continue watching functionality and they'll figure out a, a, a really good solution for profiles, especially since Disney, Disney Plus is really targeted at kids. It's not just for kids. I know this, but they obviously have a lot of kids content on Disney, which is why it's not all the content. Right. Right. But I'm not sure that they're going to do at least not all of those things because they have no plans of getting rid of the standalone Hulu app. (laughs) Right. That they've, they've said that basically the point of this is we want to get Disney Plus subscribers to sign up for Hulu. So if we do this, it'll show them what Hulu is like and the things that you can watch on Hulu. Well, some of the things that you can watch on Hulu because it doesn't show everything because not right. everything is licensed to be shown inside of Disney Plus. So like, there's a lot of news and hubbub about this. And yeah, it's one place to watch all of your stuff. Well, it's not one place to watch all of your stuff. And it's not a good way. <laughs> watch all of your stuff like it it's you're still going to have a better experience exiting the disney plus app and opening the hulu app so it's basically just for for marketing to their current customers to get them to sign up for a bundle with hulu and if they really sucker you in to giving them all of the money by getting you to sign up for hulu with live tv None of that will show up inside of the Disney Plus app either. So you're absolutely, if you're, if you actually sign up for Hulu because of this, you're absolutely going to use the Hulu app still. It's, I, I find all of this frustrating. I don't. I, I, and I don't really have a good explanation for why. I think from the beginning, I have, when hearing news about this, thought that this was a promotional deal, that it was them looking at Hulu as just another source. It's not a it's not like they're trying to bring the Hulu experience in. It's not like they're trying to replace your Hulu. Just like you have net National Geographic content. And by the way, you may also be a National Geographic subscriber who has a National Geographic app on the same television. You could have Hulu and see some Hulu stuff as a source of content in Disney Plus. It's not intended to replace the whole thing, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I mean, <laughs> I I think um, Bob Iger has been pretty clear about the fact that he needs to make this business profitable for Disney because the streaming business has not been profitable for them. And it needs to be something that is not such a sink for them right now. And this could be one way to get more people to either add and get a bundle. Or maybe they have Disney and they're tired of the Disney stuff and 
they were just going to cancel, but oh, hey, there's all this Hulu stuff. Well, maybe when we cancel Disney, we should subscribe to Hulu because there's a lot of good content over there, including some kids' content. I guess. <laughs> that, that was not uh, any indication that I did a good job convincing you, but that's okay. Well, if I if I didn't already have the bundle, this wouldn't encourage me. Like, this wouldn't sway me at all. So why not? I I don't like I'm not saying that I'm being reasonable. <laughs> I, I feel like this is a fairly unreasonable frustration of mine. But I I think I'm I'm just overly bothered by the fact that it is just a marketing thing. It's not actually intended to really bring value to the user. But it is bringing value to the user by adding additional content. And it's not like they're doing, at least as far as I'm aware, I don't think they're doing the thing that Peacock was doing with their free tier, where they let you see two episodes, but no, if you wanted to see the whole show, you had to actually go subscribe to the higher tier service. They're not pulling that. They're just picking and choosing things that they think are going to A, interest folks who have families, and B, potentially sway people to come and check out more i guess <laughs> okay i guess and and for the record for anybody who's like well josh if you don't care about hulu why do you have the bundle i have the bundle because of espn plus right when when you look at the 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 disney espn hulu bundle you're basically getting pick one of those services for free you're you're paying for two and getting one free is the way that i've always looked at it and for me it's Disney because I have kids who love the Disney stuff and a wife who loves the Marvel stuff and ESPN Plus so that I can watch all the hockey that I can possibly watch. And Hulu almost never gets watched by anyone in my house. So, anyway. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to some gaming news. Richard, this news today, not surprising, but it's still like right, right in the chest. Like it kind of hurt. It kind of hurt. <laughs> Even though it wasn't surprising at all. Yeah. Today, we have to play taps, lower the flags to half-mast, because E3 is dead, and it's never coming back. Hmm. Well, like, this is... E3, it started in the, in the mid-90s. It is something that started when I was a kid, mm -hmm. really getting into video games. You know, I, I mean, I was like, 15 or something like that. Um, I was reading video game magazines and, you know, always looked forward to hearing the latest news about E3. It was the place where all of the major video game announcements happened for decades. Right. But and it's it been dying. It hasn't been. Even right. when it's been held, it hasn't been the place where all the major announcements happen anymore. No. No, it, it hasn't. And that's that I think is the biggest problem and the thing that really led to its death. So I'm gonna blame PlayStation because that's what I like to do. No, it's not it's <laughs> with my green lighting behind me uh, to show that I'm an Xbox. No, that's actually because it's Christmas lighting to match Richards. But Sony's partly to blame, Nintendo's partly to blame, but even blame is probably not actually the fair way to describe what happened here. Nintendo and Sony and many of the other players following in in their their same direction found that 
oh, look at, like, imagine this. We can have our own announcements whenever we want, not on some arbitrary media schedule. And we, we can have the content that we want to show ready. And I mean, I'm sure they're still rushing people to get things ready for their own schedule, but they, they get to choose the time and they get to dominate the news cycle. They don't have to fight to try to win E3 if they have their own event in May. So I understand why Nintendo pulled out, why Sony pulled out, uh, and, and why in terms of show floor appearance, even a lot of major publishers all pulled out over the last few years. Yeah. So it was still an important time. You know, there were still other video game things happening all to coincide with E3 to try and get their news in while uh, while the the rest of media is focused on the spectacle of E3, just like CES. You know, Apple doesn't show up at CES. Uh, lots of big companies don't, but there's still a lot of things that happen even outside of CES, but at the same time, because they know that's when the world will have its eyes focused on the consumer electronics space. Same thing with video games. We've also talked in the past about the the benefits to the industry itself. It's also a networking event for the industry. It allows small studios to talk to publishers. It, it allows small media outlets to talk to game developers and get a foot in the door. You know, it's it's very similar to what CES offered us as the DMZ. We were a small site. We're still right. a small site, if we're being honest. But CES gives us that ability as as small grassroots media to get our foot in the door and talk with the big companies when they'll actually meet with us and and to help you get your own career started. So uh, to to see an event like this go by the wayside, I think it's unfortunate. I'm sad. I'm sad I never got to go. Uh, I'd always thought about, you know, maybe it would be really fun to go. I'm sure it would be insane and exhausting the way that CES is, but now I'll never actually know because it's gone and there's not really an equivalent uh, thing to to replace it. it. It's basically been replaced by individual publishers and uh, major console makers. They just release their own events streaming online. They don't really do in-person events anymore. So the the only thing that's close is the game developers conference which is far more focused on game developers so there's some news that comes out of gdc but it's definitely not the same thing a lot of people have also said why do we need e3 when we've got the game awards uh i'll save my rant about the game awards for the end of the show i don't think that's the best way uh to to replace e3 either so it's not surprising. E3 was canceled in 2020 because of the pandemic. They went digital in 2021, did it really poorly, had talked about doing a live or hybrid event in 22. They didn't. They couldn't figure it out. They canceled it. They canceled it this year, too, for similar reasons. And because they couldn't get buy-in from the rest of the industry, the writing has been on the wall that E3 was going to die. I mean, we probably should have said when they canceled 2023 E3, that E3 is in hospice care at that point. <laughs> like it's, we've all known this was coming. I think maybe the best thing about this is that they canceled it early enough 
that it gives the rest of the industry time to figure out what they're going to do in 2024. Well, right. Because, you know, there's Jeff Keighley puts on a big summer event that's timed with E3 also. Does he move that? Like the, the, the whole industry gets to really potentially dictate what happens uh, it, with this giant void left by, e, by E3 not existing anymore. Yeah, I think, I think it, I'm most interested in seeing what comes in to fill the space. And you made the comparison to CES, and I'm not entirely convinced that that's equivalent because despite all of the soothsayers who've been predicting the demise of CES every single year for the last decade, it isn't happening. See, and, you know, we, we saw good numbers last year. The numbers look like they're going to be good again this year. Vendors are definitely going back. People are going back to conferences. And that was the other thing. People were like, all right, conferences are dead. That's not going to happen. No, people want to get together. People want to right. meet in person and talk to other humans and do business deals and network because that's what these shows offer. And I know I'm a broken record about this, but I do think something will fill this space. And I'm, even though I'm not a gamer, certainly interested in seeing how the industry responds to this and what ends up happening instead. Yep. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, one more much shorter story from the gaming news side, and that is that the Xbox CFO, his name is Tim Stewart. He's probably not nearly as well known as people like Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox. He was giving an interview and said something interesting about a potential business model for Xbox cloud gaming. So in the US and in all of the the markets where Xbox cloud gaming is supported, you only get access to it by being an Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subscriber, which in the US is now $16.99 a month, I believe. And it's not just the cloud gaming. It's kind of like the cloud gaming part is just tacked on to the massive library of games that you can download and play on your Xbox and on your PC. And then they allow you to stream a subset of that library online. What they've said in in this interview is that they could see themselves in in markets that are not as developed as Europe, uh, America, the Far East. Um, so markets like Africa, India, Southeast Asia, that they would consider an ad-supported model for Xbox cloud gaming. Now, I think their example is ridiculous because what he said was, for example, I could see somebody watching a 30-second ad for two hours of game streaming. Really? Really? You're going to give them two hours of game and streaming? Because in every video streaming <laughs> service out there, if I watch a 30-second ad, I'm lucky to get 10 minutes of uninterrupted <laughs> video. So I'm sure that model would actually get adjusted by the time it actually hits the, the real world. but this makes sense. Why, why not do it? Like all of the video streaming services are doing it because ads are profitable. Even right now, when for the last few years, the ad business model has, has produced lower revenues than in, than in all of the previous years, like ads are not doing well, period. 
but they're doing well enough that it is supporting a lot of these services. And so it could potentially be enough in markets like Africa, where most young people who are interested in games do have a phone, but may not have the means to get a $500 Xbox Series X. Uh, And when you've already got the phone, and that's all you need uh, to have access to all of these games for just watching some ads could really drive up the numbers of of their user base. And I, I think it sounds like a really smart play. Yeah, yeah, it, it could be interesting. Yeah, I don't think they'll do it here. It'd be really interesting if they did try it here, but probably not going to happen, right? <laughs> I'm not even going to try and predict that. I, I don't know. Like it's it's interesting because you know we saw services like Netflix never had ads, Disney never had ads, but now they do because for some people or in some situations they can actually make more money from an ad supported model than asking people to just pay for the service. Right, but would that be considered just way too invasive in a serious gaming situation? Right. I mean, sure, if you're playing, you know, something dumb, and yes, I said that, like Candy Crush, which I play, so I can say (laughs) that, and you have to see an ad as you're, like, between scenes or to get an extra bump for something or whatever, fine. But if this is, well, so first of all, if it's interruptive in any way, that's not going to go over. Right. Let's look at how well YouTube has implemented ads. YouTube, the biggest streaming service of user-generated content. They can't get ads right in a way that doesn't cut people off (laughs) mid-syllable. Right. Right? Right. So do I have any hope that... Companies are, if they were to try and integrate ads in any sort of game streaming service, would do it in a way that wasn't invasive? No, I have zero hope of that. But um, that doesn't mean it wouldn't happen. So, yeah, I'm I'm making zero predictions. I don't like it. I don't like the idea of it. Yeah. And and to do it in games, they would essentially have to have the game developers implement a system into their games that would signal the service to when it was appropriate to display an ad. (laughs) YouTubers are supposed to do that. They don't. Well, right. And, but we see that in, in mobile games all the time, right? Like it's finish a round of a, you know, finish a level or whatever. And you see some ads and things like that. And we don't typically see that on modern AAA games, but you could you could display an ad at the end of every Call of Duty match. You could. What would make me a whole lot more concerned about that is if Activision figures out, well, we've got to put in this code for displaying ads for it to be on the ad-supported cloud streaming service. Why don't we also just insert ads for the people who paid $70 for the game? Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no. And that could happen. Slippery could happen. slope. I know that's a lame excuse for not doing a lot of things, but serious slippery slope. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want to put ads in, in the things that we're essentially getting for free. That's one thing. 
putting ads in a game that you're paying $70 for is another thing. And anybody who's thinking, yeah, but you do have to pay your subscription service plus watching ads with Netflix. Yeah, it's it's different. It, it, it's significantly more cost and things like that. So I think that is different. All right, I think we've beat that horse to death. Let's jump into uh, the really fun part of the show where we talk about what's going on in our entertainment centers. So Richard, what's going on in your entertainment center? Not as much as usual. I am up to date on The Amazing Race, which means the next episode is the finale. And I'm really happy with the teams that are in the last three. So this should be a fun season finale. I've also watched another few episodes of season three of Ghosts from the UK. And I believe we just have one left for season three, and then we'll start the fourth season on that. All still while we're waiting for U.S. episodes of Ghosts to return, which I think isn't happening till sometime in the spring. And then I am up to date on Fellow Travelers. I think there's one episode in that left. I I don't see how that's going to be renewed, but that's been interesting on Showtime. And I started a show that I've heard a lot about on Apple TV Plus called Lessons in Chemistry. And I don't know if you know anything about this. Josh, have you heard about it? No. So the gist of it is there's a very intelligent woman with a a postgraduate degrees in chemistry who wants to like, you know, get some recognition for what she's capable of. Oh, but we're in the fifties right now. So nobody's taking her seriously until she finds some people that do. And then ultimately gets herself in a cooking show and turns that cooking show into chemistry lessons about (laughs) cooking. And I am loving it. I am absolutely loving it. It is so clever. It's so well done. The characters are, are genuine. And while they may seem like archetypes or stereotypes, I think, They've done a really good job of creating interesting characters that you care about and in some cases can make fun of. And I am genuinely enjoying this. So looking forward to watching more of that. Also started Andor, finally. I've wanted to watch this and I just haven't had room in my schedule for the next Star Trek or Star Trek. I can't believe I said that. Star Wars thing. Forgive me. Please, people, forgive me. And I am... Enjoying that. We are three episodes into that so far. A couple more episodes of Courtship of Eddie's Father. And we watched a movie. My friend and I have been wanting to see this movie, and Edward has not been interested in it. And she was over. So we finally watched Tetris, the movie about how Tetris got started and how it became such a huge thing. This is an Apple. TV Plus exclusive. It was phenomenal. It embellishes. It (laughs) makes the distribution of Tetris seem a little bit like a Bond film. So (laughs) it embellishes. From Russia with love. (laughs) But it is so good and so much fun. And quite a lot of it is true. 
The characters, <laughs> the characters themselves are true. The politics of it are true. So uh, this is a story I never knew and did some research after watching this. It's fascinating. And I highly, highly recommend this. If you played Tetris and you were as addicted to it as so many people were, you will get the gist of this. And I think you will thoroughly enjoy this. And then finally, the ebook that I am listening to right now or, or uh, audio book I'm listening to is another book by uh, my, my friend, the author, David Swinson. It's called City on the Edge. And uh, this is a departure from the crime novels that I've written or that I've read of his in the past. And I'm really liking it. I'm about halfway through and hope to finish that before the holidays. So that's it for me. And like I said, a lot shorter than normal. How about you, Josh? So, yeah, a, a little, maybe a little bit more than usual for me, too. Uh, on the gaming front, not too many real surprises there. Uh, Forza Motorsport, that's been the most of it. A little bit more NHL, finally getting back into NHL, uh, which has been nice. Uh, TV, here's where my rant comes in. The Game Awards. <laughs> okay. I do get kind of excited about the Game Awards. It's a fun spectacle. It's a fun celebration of video game stuff. And I've... I have no problem with the Game Awards being largely a commercial for new video games. Like that's okay. That's 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 what I'm here for. I'm here for trailers for games that are coming out in the next year or so and any surprise major announcements in the gaming space. That's cool. I'm fine with with there being a lot of that in the Game Awards. But it's still supposed to be an award show. And Jeff Keighley has completely gotten away from the idea that this is an award show. And there are so many problems with it now. Like for, for years, we've been able to make minor gripes about some of the things that have been happening, but all of the bad things are just getting worse and worse and worse. So for example, the game awards barely talks about the awards. So you know, you're you're of course going to get the normal awards experience for like game of the year and things like that. But for lesser awards, and I know big name award shows do this too, but for like the smaller awards, they'll just kind of rattle them off fairly quickly. But smaller awards in this year's game awards included categories like best role playing game of the year, best, Ooh. yeah, best online multiplayer game of the no year. No way. Like, absolutely insane things were just put in, here, here's here's the category, here's the nominees, here's who won, congratulations to that studio. And now, let's talk about this category. And that's it. Like, no real recognition of, of those games, the developers who made them. It's ridiculous. Then, let's talk about if there was... If they actually, you know, had people in the audience and brought them up on stage to celebrate them, they got 30 to 45 seconds for their acceptance speech. And that's it. They were getting rushed off the stage, like practically pushed off the stage. And Jeff Keighley and his supporters can can say and blame it on one particular award winner last year who spent eight minutes with his acceptance speech, which is ridiculous. Like no one should go on for eight minutes. <laughs> right. But when we are pushing people off stage 
even for Game of the Year award, the final one, they were basically being pushed off the stage while they were also talking about how during the game's development, people in their studio died. Like they were basically being pushed off stage. The background music is coming up and they're getting pushed off stage. Come on. It's a joke. It's not an award show anymore. And then add on top of that, like this is a four hour show and it includes stupid things like skits with the Muppets. There's always a Muppet skit every year. Why? It doesn't need to happen, but Jeff Keighley must love the Muppets. So he always has a Muppet thing that has nothing to do with anything. He always makes time for Hideo Kojima to come on stage and show a minute of a game that doesn't tell you anything about the game. You just know it's going to be crazy because it's a Hideo Kojima game. And he's in love with Hideo Kojima, so he gives Kojima as much time on stage as he wants. Like, I'm interested in Kojima's games too, but give me the trailer and let's move on with our lives. He also brings on movie stars and and actors and stuff like that to introduce things and gives them a ton of time to talk about stupid things. Like, Matthew McConaughey came on stage to present a trailer for a game and spent 45 seconds or more rambling about what they told him not to do. And then he did it. And, and he was really only there to say, Hey guys, I'm a voice actor in a, in this game that I'm going to show you. Cool. I just want to see the trailer get off the stage. <laughs> there was another host who came out. He had injured himself in a basketball game. Why do I need to know this? I don't like, okay, your foot's in a cast or whatever. Cool. I don't need to know the entire backstory about how when you're over 30, you should stretch. I, just get on with it and give that time to the developers who spent years making games. Give the time to them to actually be honored in all of this. And then absolutely no mention at all about the fact that over 10,000 people in the video game industry that just this year have been laid off from their jobs. No discussion of anything like that. Nope. We're just going to talk about how gaming is so great and brings us all together. And Hideo Kojima is a rock star. Like it's a joke. I'm not watching this anymore. I will wait until the next day and see all of all of the articles that have links to all of the YouTube videos for all of the trailers that I need to see. And that'll be good enough. There is no point in me watching this anymore. And I don't think there's any point in anybody else watching it either. And that's a shame for the game developers who should be getting celebrated for the amazing things that they're doing. Maybe we need to make uh, the GDC awards a a big media event and let them get celebrated there because it's not happening at the game awards. Man, that was a bigger rant than I expected. (laughs) I think we need a play out music like Molly used to have for Molly rants. Woof. Yeah, that was a lot. All right. So uh, it's not the only thing I watched. Watched some football, of course. Uh, Also, can I throw this one in here? I didn't watch it, but Jen really wanted to watch the Hannah Waddingham's Home for Christmas or whatever the name of her Christmas singing special was on Apple TV+. Plus. She loved it. The the girls loved it, too. Um, I would have watched it, but I already had plans to play video games with guys that night. So I haven't seen it. But I've heard it's great. Go and check it out if you're looking for something fun to do for the holidays. I want to watch this. In case you don't know what we're talking about, this is the Variety Special on Apple TV Plus hosted by uh, the 
the woman who plays the owner of the team in Ted Lasso. She's amazing. She has a beautiful voice. She is a performer. So this is something I've absolutely wanted to watch and just haven't had a chance to do yet. Yeah, it sounds like you definitely should. But that also meant that I had to subscribe to Apple TV Plus because I I had canceled that. So yeah, for another month. And I don't know that I plan on keeping it long term, but there's a lot of really good sci-fi stuff on Apple TV Plus that I haven't watched. And the movie Tetris. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to watch Tetris. (laughs) Probably not. But so we'll see. Maybe I'll have more things in my uh, what I've been watching. Oh, there is another thing I've been watching that I haven't mentioned at all. Uh, I've I've been doing most of my running on the treadmill. And while doing that, I've been watching The Expanse. So I'm probably three quarters of the way through season two. Oh, there's what, like five seasons of that show or something? Yes. The fifth season is very short, but yes, five seasons. Okay. It, that show got good. That show got really good. <laughs> yes. The first season was hard to get into initially, but it gets good fast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I won't say any characters or anything like that, that that would spoil anything, but there was, you know, there with shows like this, you can sometimes get to the point where you're like, I, I'm not even not even nervous about this situation where it looks like everybody's going to die because everybody always finds a way out. And I was afraid that that was going to be the situation in this show, that, that there would be a whole, sl- a whole slew of characters that would just never, ever die. And it seems like maybe that's not the case. Nope. They kill people. Yeah. Yep. As they should. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's really good. Yeah. And then books, you know, you had mentioned the, the past couple of episodes that you were reading um, Measure What Matters. Yep. I, I read it also. It, that is a really good business book. Really good. Yep. Finished that one. And then I also started reading Razorblade Tears by S.A. Crosby. Uh, this is the same author that wrote um, Blacktop Wasteland that I talked about over the summer. And I loved that book. This one, the the like... Well, I guess this is technically three sentence description, but each sentence is less than like three words. Oh, it's four. The the description that I see for this book over on Goodreads is a black father, a white father, two murdered sons, a quest for vengeance. Ooh. It's it's a really it's a really good like action filled book. The action like never stops, and it's it it talks a lot about the state of race in modern America the state of how sexuality is viewed in modern America. It's really good. I'm about halfway through it. And like, I'm basically putting all of my podcast on hold to listen to this book instead. It's that much like if I were reading the physical book, I would say it's a page turner. I don't know what we use for (laughs) audiobooks, but it's that. (laughs) Are you having driveway moments? Oh, wait, you don't drive home from work. I also Hmm. don't go anywhere. Right. (laughs) But when I'm swapping laundry, it's what I'm most Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's me. So yeah, that's what is going on in my entertainment center. So that's it for the news and, and all of all of those things. If you want to get a hold of us, we're all over the place. We're on X. Well, I'm on X at Josh Pollard. We're both on uh Mastodon. Richard is at Richard Gunther. I'm at Josh Pollard. Um the the website is also on on X uh, at DigiMediaZone. 
Um, we're also on, in case you missed it at the beginning, we're also on YouTube. Go and check out the YouTube channel. We've got whole episodes of the show and we're breaking up segments. Uh, if you're maybe not interested in every single topic, you can pick and choose which ones you want to watch. And if you subscribe, you'll get and ring the bell. You'll get notified about all of those videos as they appear. We also record the show live most of the time. Uh, it's Tuesdays or Wednesdays, typically around 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. Follow us on social and you'll probably get notified or just subscribe to us once you get here on Twitch. And Twitch will notify you once we go live. But that's going to do it for episode 632. He's Richard Gunther and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.